Luke 13, 10 to 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. This is the gospel of our Lord. If I'd uh, remembered that next week you were voting to call me as associate pastor, I'd realize the gravity that maybe hangs on this sermon. So let me, uh, let me pray and ask that the Lord bless it. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you bless the reading and now the preaching of your word, that you would speak to us because yours is the voice that we need to hear above all others, the voice of love, seeing us, calling out to us, touching us, and we pray that we would know that today by your spirit. Amen. We all know and we all have this, uh, not eternal, I guess it's eternal, internal conflict between wanting to be seen and not be seen all at the same time. I mean, think about it. We avoid eye contact on the sidewalk. I mean, that's just what good New Yorkers do. It's every time my parents come and visit, my dad tries to talk to every single person on the sidewalk, and I'm like... Please, you are making everyone massively uncomfortable. Don't even look at them, much less talk to them. We avoid eye contact on uh, subways and buses. Some of us have a hard time making eye contact during conversation, which is often sometimes difficult to navigate because some of us were brought up in different cultures and uh, ways of being that to make eye contact sometimes is disrespectful or uh, dishonoring. And for others of us, we were brought up that to not make eye contact is dishonoring and disrespectful and distrustful. So we have a hard time navigating these things between wanting to be seen and being seen. I mean, look, sometimes looking at someone is interpreted as aggressive. I mean, how many fights have been started in New York City with the phrase, you looking at me? Are you looking at me? Right? We have to navigate these things when it's okay to look and when it's okay not to look. And yet we also so desperately want to be seen. I think if you polled a group of people, I don't know, let's say 40 years old or younger, would they rather go to college for free, get an upper tier degree and secure a solid to elite job out of college or become a famous YouTuber or some other type of content creator on the internet with a follower account that ends in a K 
I think easily a third, at least a third of those polled would pick the latter. They would rather be famous on the internet. And even if being an internet celebrity or being famous adjacent via the internet is not your thing, if you're maybe over 40, you still love being seen in the old-fashioned way of Facebook and Instagram. But it's curated, of course. It's selective. I would love to see a community of people, I know you've heard me say this before, I would love to see a community of people only post on their social media feeds their actual day-to-day life. It'll never happen. Imagine if someone posts, you know, I grabbed my kid's arm too hard today when she wouldn't stop throwing a fit. I felt horrible about it, so I drank a bottle of wine to try, try to make the guilt go away. I passed out on the couch, woke up hungover, was late to work, and I hate my boss. What if we posted those sorts of things on our social media? No one does that. We only let you see what we want you to see. Smiling, happy people, all well put together with no weaknesses. Sure, we let others in on the struggle at times, but even then, only in carefully selected ways that do enough to elicit just the right amount of sympathy without being entirely truthful about how bad it really is. Because we aren't even truthful with ourselves how bad it really is. Always spinning it in a more favorable Light. Our egos want to eliminate all humiliating and embarrassing and negative information in order to look good to ourselves and to others at all costs. We long to see and be seen, but ever since, I mean, frankly, Adam and Eve in the garden, we have this hardwired programming to cover our nakedness and to dive into the bushes and hide especially to hide from our Creator. Which is why it's important for us to consider that in our passage today, in this account in the Gospels, Jesus shows up to church, shows up to corporate gathered worship, and He sees. 138 times in the Gospels, in fact, it is recorded for us and made it clear to us that Jesus sees. Seeing being crucial to Jesus' mission, seeing rightly, seeing rightly is part of who Jesus is and what he came to do and frankly what he came to teach others to be able to do. Jesus walks into church that day and he sees a woman who cannot see. Not because she's blind, but literally she cannot see because she is bent over in pain. She is not whole. And I would imagine she is not seen by others either. I imagine that her crippling condition makes her curl up into this ball, into this small position that is easy to overlook over everyone else standing around. Maybe even easy to just simply walk past and not even notice that she's there. A number of years ago, when I got to go to Ethiopia, when Resurrection Brooklyn, when we as a church network sent medical mission teams to uh, a partner that we supported in Ethiopia, uh, the year that I got to go, I literally almost stepped on a woman on the sidewalk one day, walking through the city. 
a woman that was what I imagine looked a lot like the lady in our passage today. She, her body was broken and twisted, curled up in upon itself, and there she was on the sidewalk, and I didn't even see her until I almost ran into her. And I asked our Ethiopian uh, colleague, what is that? I mean, what, what does she have? I've never seen anything like that in my life. And he said, oh, she has polio. And I was like, polio? I thought we eradicated polio like in the 50s or something. I didn't even know people even got that anymore. And I'll never forget that image. I mean, it is forever seared into my brain. And I'll never forget what she looked like that day. And similar, Luke is calling our attention. I mean, Luke says, behold. He begins this with, behold, look at this woman. He wants all of us to see that of all all the people who are in the synagogue this day, behold this person, this woman who Jesus sees amongst all the other gathered people there that day, who he sees even though there are plenty of people who came, most likely, came that day well put together, looking sharp, and wanting to be seen by Jesus today. Out of all the people, Jesus sees her. He sees her, and he calls out to her, and he touches her, and he brings her healing, 18 years being curled up in a painful ball, unable to lift herself up. Jesus lifts her up, and it all starts with this intentionality by Jesus to see people. Well, someone else sees that day, someone else sees all this that's going on, and he does not like what he sees. The ruler of the synagogue is indignant that Jesus would do this work on the Sabbath, this sacred day of rest from all labor. Now, I mean, okay, he certainly has a point, I suppose. Go back to the sacred Jewish text in the Torah in Exodus 20, where it commanded in the fourth commandment that on the Sabbath day we should do no work, that we should rest from all our labors. So, I guess he has a point, but we also know he misses the point, right? He misses it. He doesn't quite get it. And he's indignant. He's outraged. He's scandalized. He's offended that Jesus would do such a thing on this important, holy day. But this is not surprising. I mean, all throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is challenging the social norms and the status quo. We've been looking at this all summer long. I mean, Jesus goes around going to parties that you're not supposed to go to, and he says things like, you know what, you should throw a party too. And in fact, when you do throw a party, invite all the people that no one else invites. In fact, invite all the people who can't pay you back or return the favor and invite you to their parties because they have no means to do so. You want to know what you must do to inherit eternal life when someone comes and asks him? Jesus says, make right all the injustices that you see other people suffering when it is in your means to make it right, even when it's not your fault that they suffered injustice. You want an answer for the anxiety that you feel? It'll never be answered by your attempt to perform your way into being enough. Or when he said last week, you think that I came to keep the peace and not rock the boat? Oh no. I came not to bring peace, but a sword of division. And here again, Jesus is challenging cultural 
and religious and political norms. Yes, the Sabbath day is made for rest, and Jesus does indeed want us desperately to have rest. But if you go and you read the Deuteronomy account of the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy 5, you see that there is another reason that we need, that we are to rest on the Sabbath. And in that account, it is to remember that God came to set us free. He says, remember, you were bound up as slaves in Egypt, and the Lord loosed those chains and set you free so that when you rest on the seventh day, when you do things like untie your farm animal and lead them to life-giving water on the Sabbath day, is because God created you to live free. The religious leader does not see this daughter of Abraham as Jesus sees her, as someone who is broken, but yet who still belongs, someone broken and bent, the same as we all are, regardless of our outer physical condition. Jesus doesn't waste time that day praising good moral behavior and criticizing immoral behavior. He wants us to see rightly. And the rest will take care of itself, trusting that even our shadows, even our falsehoods and failures, even our bent parts are places for his transforming growth into something beautiful and something free. Free to be seen and free to see. So ask us this today, how do we want to be seen and how do we want to see as a church? How do we as this newly formed, coming together body, and if you're new here today or visiting, this church has recently been three different congregations who have become one, and I am 1,000% convinced that that was the right decision to make. I was convinced before and I'm only more convinced after, but I'll confess to you that I'm still a little nervous. Not that it wasn't the right thing to do, but what are we going to do now? You know? Like, what are we going to become? And I know, like, we've sent out, Jameson and I have sent out these queries for you as the congregants to come back to us and say, you know, we're trying to plan for the fall and fall kickoff, as Jameson jokes, that 2,000-year-old tradition of the church when ministry really kicks in. And to be honest with you, like, I'm stressed out. I'm like, well, what, what should we do? And you guys are giving us tons of good options and offerings and information, and I'm so thankful for that, but I, frankly, I'm nervous because I'm like, what if we mess this up? What if we don't do the right thing? Like, we came together, and it's right, and we got this space, but what if we, what if we mess it up? What if we don't offer the right programs? What if we don't put the right systems in place and the right organizational structure so that this church can grow and be successful? What if we don't choose the right things? And then I thought to myself, you know what? Our past leadership was one of the most ingenious, creative people when it came to thinking through and thinking up all sorts of things to try and do. And we tried a lot of things as a church network, all sorts of programs and initiatives. And they weren't bad. I'm not saying they were bad. But when I think about it and I look back, I go, you know what? Even still, they weren't enough. 
I mean, we still suffered loss through the proliferation of church plants all over Brooklyn when there became all these other options for people to go to church that were hip and cool. It didn't necessarily stop us from suffering loss. It certainly didn't protect us from the pandemic and the exodus that occurred when people got used to not going to church anymore and decided they preferred that more. It didn't protect us from these things. And I thought, you know, you're so worked up and twisted inside about what if we mess this up and don't offer the right programs and things. And then I had to preach this sermon today and I was like, oh, right. It's not to say those things aren't important. So parents, don't worry. We're still gonna make sure we have a good children's ministry program and a youth program for all you that want. Community groups, they are important. I'm not saying they don't matter. But what I wanna say is this. I, I don't know which of those things will make this church, quote, successful, but I do know that this thing will make this church successful. The ability to see. To see each other. To see visitors and strangers when they walk through those doors, to see them bent over in their sin. To see them bent over in pain and with wounds that are both seen and unseen, bent over with grief weighing them down, bent over in brokenness. That's what will make this church successful. Being able to see rightly as Jesus sees. See ourselves and our own brokenness as Jesus sees and not run away from it and not try to hide from it, but to allow it to transform us and make us whole and make us welcoming and warm and inviting for any kind of person who comes in here. It doesn't matter how fancy and polished and shiny this place is, our programming is. This is what will matter. This is what will change us. And this is what will change our neighbors. And this is what will change our city and ultimately change this world. May God grant us by his Holy Spirit the eyes to see in that way. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.